Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the Five Elements podcast, everybody. So we're going to be talking about how to apply progressive overload to your training programs, which is one of the, if not the key principle, if you're wanting to get strong, wanting to build some muscle and get in better shape in the gym. Uh, We want to cover kind of some basics about it, some misconceptions and some strategies that you can use in your programs immediately to kind of make sure you're going to be progressing and how we like to do it in a simplified way. But first, if you want to support the show, as always, the easiest way to do so is leave a review or share this with someone who you think would benefit from it. That way we can help grow the podcast and our audience. You can also join the Five Elements newsletter where Coach Sam has control of the Monday mindset where she's going to talk about things that are going to help you improve your mindset with fitness, your relationship with your body, food, etc. Which, for Uh, the record, I've taken a hiatus (laughs) from. (laughs) Yeah, they're not always every week, but... We save our best content We're for We're coming them. back. And then on Fridays, most Fridays, I send out some sort of science-y, research-focused um, topic to help you kind of use the best and easiest way to apply kind of some evidence and some practical strategies into your fitness. For example, last week I covered how many sets you should be doing to maximize, how many weekly sets per muscle group you should be doing to maximize muscle growth. And I gave some practical strategies to do it. So it's not super sciencey. I try to communicate it in the best way I can, mm-hmm. although sometimes it gets out of hand. But <clears throat> the last way is you can apply and sign up for online coaching. Um, so if you are looking for help with your fitness journey, um, we offer online coaching, which is monthly customized pro- customized programming based off of your needs and goals. Um, it comes with nutritional and habit-based coaching, um, which is going to be based on your needs and goals as well. And, you know, factoring in, we're going to collaborate with you to make sure that it's a plan that is not just going to be a short-term rental where you can shed six shed for six weeks and then gain it back. We're looking for your kind of investment into how to make this a lifestyle and sustainable. And then also weekly check-ins and monthly phone calls so that we can continuously have that communication to help you work towards your goals. And if that sounds at all interesting to you, you can apply with the link in the description of this episode and we can set up a complimentary call to see if we're the right fit and if Samurai actually think we can help you too because we want to make sure that we're the right fit there. And that's the way you can support the show. Um, one of those threes. So net with that out of the way, let's get to our classic roses and thorns. Sammy B, do you have yours? I do. All right. Do you want to go first? Yes. Okay. So I've been taking a bit of a hiatus lately because it just feels like my bandwidth is ultra, ultra limited at the moment. So between everything I got going on with my own health, with the health of my family members, it's just been a little exhausting. So that means I've had to pull back a bit. Um, And I want to say that that's my thorn. But my actual thorn for today (laughs) is that I feel like women's rights are being called into question. And like, sure, my bandwidth is more limited by way of like all of like the personal stuff. But then when I re-enter the world, um, I am flooded by messaging of, you know, women no longer being able to access abortion in America or 
you know, here in Canada, a law was passed um, in relation to um, sexual assault and uh, domestic violence that would enable people to get off more easily, basically. So I'm just kind of seeing this, you know, in our country, in America, who we share a lot with. And yeah, Canadians like to act innocent. Um, yeah. We like to point at America and say, oh, or at least at we're not least them, we're not which I find to be incredibly problematic and yes. rather annoying. It's disenfranchising yeah. in so many ways because our politics and theirs are kind. There's an interplay between them. It's also using like using a worse off situation to yes. say this one's great is kind of like toxic and gaslighty in yeah. a way too. Like, oh, it could be worse. Um, and all of this kind of culminated, like the best example I can give why this is so heartbreaking to me is, um, actually via a conversation I had with my mother who, um, was born in the fifties, like she was born in 49 and she actually became like a full blown hippie. Like she was a protester in the, you know, war for Vietnam Um, she was a full blown pot smoking hippie. Love you, mom. If you ever hear this, (laughs) um, but she very much remember, like we were talking about those days. We were talking about her hippie days when she was like protesting with Greenpeace and protesting for women's rights. And she's like, you know what? My generation stood up so that your generation would be given access to privileges and rights that we didn't have. And to see it go backwards in my lifetime is just one of the most devastating things I could imagine. And like hearing that from her mouth really like put the perspective on it that I guess I didn't really want to open my eyes to, but it is, it's hard to stomach. It's hard to hear. It's hard to witness. It's hard to hold space for and it's hard not to feel really discouraged by it no that's tough to hear yeah so big thorn yeah that's big thorn for this little feminist sometimes roses and thorns um actually we've gotten some feedback from some of the listeners that Mm -hmm. they do roses and thorns with their families um one is a teacher and says she 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 says she does it with her students which is amazing Mm -hmm. and i think I've been more in my lifetime attracted to positive toxic mm-hmm. uh, toxic positivity mm-hmm. um, where it's like we gotta fix everything always. It's very like man kind of in our socio in our own society, men are like fixers, which is like yes. a problem in and of itself. So I'm always like, let's there's gotta be a reason to complain. And and what I've learned through doing this more is like, no, there doesn't. Mm-hmm. Sometimes with thorns is just like this sucks. Mm-hmm. I have no answers. Nope. I have no, no I, don't, I don't know, other than like this hurts and this sucks. Yeah. And that's like sometimes the ugly, real raw version of thorns and roses where it's like, I don't got no answers, but this yeah. is fucking brutal. It's important to just honor a feeling and hold space for the fact that like, I don't know where this is going. I'm not saying it's catastrophic or the end of the world or that there isn't room to, you know, move in a more positive direction from here. But I have to hold space for the fact that right now it feels really ugly for sure. and it feels really terrible. And it it's scary as a woman. Like it is really, really frightening, um, especially with the con- very contentious issue of abortion because yeah. we all kind of have this image of what abortion is and who it's for. Yeah. And the reality is that there are many reasons why a woman 
maybe later in life or in different phases might want to terminate a pregnancy. Yeah. Cause the, the, and that's like, yeah, that's actually beneficial for the next generation. Yeah. No one that's as valid as yeah. the extreme cases that always get put forward. Yeah. Like, and yeah, we, there's extreme ones. Like the fact that some people are actually like, even in the most extreme violent situations, it yeah. should still be taken to full term. Um, there does have to be a change in rhetoric of like, Hey, like just saying I'm not ready or I don't want to mm-hmm. do this. I like, that is also a valid yeah. reason for that, I think. hundred um, percent. I know people who don't agree with the sentiment, there's no probably no coming to terms with like our disagreements. Yeah. But um that's kind of where we're at on that. I mean, it's just it's a really interesting conversation because it all surrounds the fact that like a fetus has rights and yet the actual caretaking of a child is then completely left up to the individual. Like our political leaders show absolutely no support to families and parents. Like it's minimal. It's so limited. Look at what happens the moment a baby is born. Like, especially in America where like maternity leave is (laughs) a joke. Well, no, there's, there's no, there's no federal maternity leave. Some companies, companies companies can choose to, there's no law. I know. We, we, so Sam and I worked for an American company before that was in Canada and they would say things like, Oh, congrats. You, you've been here for five years. You, you were giving another year of vacation. I'm like, no motherfucker. That's an Ontario law. Yeah. Right. Like they, like it was very clear and we're not just going to rag on American culture because Canada is, is no innocent in this too, but it's more of a systemic issue here where it's like, they were acting like I earned that and I'm from like For the company being a and good I'm like little capitalist soldier. And I was like, no dude, like that's just law here. Um, yeah. I, I don't, f- I feel, I do feel happy that our labor unions work towards that. Yeah. Um, just like getting us weekends, et cetera. But I'm not going to like kiss your feet because you gave me something I was, that was government provincially mandated, mandated to yeah. get. Um, so yeah, um, politics is ugly. Is it ever, especially when it infringes on the rights of the people? Yeah. It just, yeah. So that's been really hard for me. Honestly, like, it makes me not want to read the news. It makes me not want to be on social media. It makes me want to really, like, introvert because it's hard to see it everywhere and hear it everywhere. And there are so many other issues beyond women's rights that um, are circulating politically right now. And it's really hard it's been a hard two and a half whatever it is now years of just one global catastrophic something after another so i don't know if you too feel like you need to pull back and your bandwidth is feeling extra limited these days i have to admit checking the news less and being on social media less has been liberating yeah liberating um unless they're like on my page or your page I mean, cut out, no, like cut out social media. That should be the unfollow first thing me, to go. Unfollow Sam. No, just delete like. Delete the app. Delete the app for a few weeks or don't check it. Like just. I delete after every use. That's your own thing. Yeah. I don't even want to go there. Okay. <laughs> All right, Rose. Rose. Um, so I mentioned that I was diagnosed with ADHD, right? <laughs> yeah. What? Why are you laughing? That's the rose. No, okay. that's the beginning of a sentence. Yeah, yeah, no, it just went from a heavy topic to another one. Well, yeah, <laughs> roses aren't not heavy. But yeah, so I was diagnosed with ADHD, with, which is a form of neurodivergence. And I know that we like to think like socially that the idea of ADHD kind of solely pertains to like 
oh, so you just can't focus on the work that's in front of you. Great. Like, that's not a big deal. Most people see it as inconsequential. But the reality is that ADHD actually has, like, a much greater impact on your life and your perception and the way that your brain works, right? So there are a lot of intricacies within my personality and with the within the way that I function that I've historically felt really like ashamed of and embarrassed by and confused as to like why can't I just be a normal person um I'm a really challenging person to get close to I'm a really challenging person to honestly like be in friendship with a lot of the time because keeping up with like the little things can be really challenging for me um So I felt a lot of shame in my life over things that are actually derivative of my neurodivergence. And in obtaining my diagnosis and finding out that so many of the things I was ashamed of are a byproduct of my neurodivergence, that's actually been one of the big positives of it because it gives me an opportunity to sort of like show myself more compassion in those areas where in the past I've shown myself nothing but hatred for like I could never forgive myself for those things like for not just functioning the way that I wanted to or being and I quote a normal person um so in like discovering who I am I'm actually sort of finding a lot more self-acceptance in that yeah and that's like that's a really positive thing it's hard but I don't know it's kind of beautiful I mean, this is the actually, this is the polar opposite side of what we were just talking about with being on social media and the news, mm-hmm. et cetera. You've actually been allocating your mental resources to spending more time on Reddit groups, yeah. going through similar things, Facebook groups, um, listening to podcasts of specialists on this specific topic yeah. of ADHD, mm-hmm. management, stuff like that. And like hearing real people's stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the beauty of the internet. You just, yeah. you kind of got to rebel against the algorithmic drive to fall into the normal traps yeah. of like reactionary politics, everything, et cetera. Yeah. But you've actually been, I've watched, been watching you use the resources to like understand yourself better through normalizing some of the things that you felt deep shame about. And that I can talk to that too, with having my binge eating in the past. Yeah just finding spaces on the internet and people who went through similar things. I was like, Oh my God, like I'm not like, I'm not so fucked up. Like this is actually like, this is way more common than I thought. And it made me feel way less alone in that. And I've seen you say similar things there. Yeah. And it was just like neurodivergence is really frightening to me in so many ways because I'm like, Oh wow. So guaranteed I'll never be. And I quote a normal person. Yeah. But like, It is nice to know that like all those years that I spent trying to white knuckle my way into becoming a normal person, firstly, that I don't have to do that anymore. Like that's liberating in and of itself um, because I'll never be one. I'm never going to function or think or act like one. I can try my absolute hardest, but it's not going to. I love, yeah, no, that's, and uh, that's that's liberating. And like, there's a lot of self-acceptance at the end of that tunnel because like, yeah, like I don't have to hate myself. It it wasn't ever because I was a bad person. Like I always thought like I'm just a really shitty human and that's why I'm the way I am. And to find out that like, no, your brain just kind of works 
very differently. Yeah. It doesn't make you a bad person. No. You just, you know what I mean? Like you're kind of a square peg in a round hole in our society. And I see that. Yeah. Um, so that's actually been beautiful and liberating. And I don't know. It's amazing how like when you go through like the journey of self-acceptance, you think you get to a place where you're like, I've done it. I know who I am now. Oh, and yet ends. there's always more to learn. 100%. Cool. Um, okay. So I'm going to keep mine nice and short because we got to get this moving. So Rose mm-hmm. saw my friends last weekend, went to London, had a good night. Um, haven't done that in a long time in the sense that it felt really normal. And every time I do something normal, quote unquote, from pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. it just adds a little bit of sunshine to the future in my mind where mm-hmm. it was so gloomy and doomy for so long. Um, and it's nice to each time experience something that's like, okay, like you can settle a little bit more. I think part of the pandemic and the two years of it, especially for us Ontarians who went through a long string of lockdowns, reopening, locking back down, there is somewhat of a hypervigilance in, all right, but when's the next lockdown coming, Mm -hmm. right? And some places like um, Vancouver and BC, they had two months and then they never locked back down. I think they did briefly one more time, but it was kind of like restrictions, but you could still kind of do stuff. Ontario was quite intense because we had it pretty bad here. And the, south, the southern part of Ontario is very population dense um, and it's super cold. So it was pretty, it was kind of, and healthcare was overburdened. So there was a lot of things intersecting to make the COVID response here quite intense. Yeah. So within that, it's nice to each time experience something that's like, okay, like you can settle a little bit more. I think part of the pandemic and the two years of it, especially for us Ontarians who went through a long string of lockdowns, reopening, locking back down, there is somewhat of a hypervigilance in, all right, but when's the next lockdown coming, mm-hmm. right? And some places like um, Vancouver and BC, they had two months and then they never locked back down. I think they did sh- briefly one more time, but it was kind of like restrictions, but you could still kind of do stuff. Ontario was quite intense because we had it pretty bad here. And the, south, the southern part of Ontario was very population dense um, and it's super cold. So it was pretty, it was kind of, and healthcare was overburdened. So there was a lot of things intersecting to make the COVID response here quite intense. Yeah. So within that, things being slowly, gradually coming back to normal, experiencing those things have been super helpful to my mental health, plus the weather, doing more stuff. And that's a big rose for me because it's starting to like believe in um, you know, having a social life again and experiencing yeah. life as opposed to the last couple of years, which have been more of a state of always being concerned Purgatory. and scared and alone and isolated. Um, my thorn is, it's a heavy topic, but I'm going to be brief with it. I'll probably talk about it later. Um, I'm currently reading a book called The Will to Change by author Bell Hooks, who mm-hmm. Every kind of like feminist scholar is probably like, hell yeah, Bell Hooks is the shit. I love Bell Hooks. Yeah. Everything I've read from her has been like, okay, wow, this this woman knows her shit. Brilliant mind. But she wrote a book for men, which some feminist scholars she mentions in her book were not really approving of. Um, but she kind of went around the argument of patriarchy. And my sister had said this to me a while ago, that a patriarchal, patriarchal system might grant men certain privileges and power but it doesn't make life inherently amazing for them and i think i've talked about before where it's like i've known men to be quite 
in the men in my life, and this might just be my own, but in general, to not be very happy, mm-hmm. um, to kind of be power seeking, domineering, but depressed and down people, mm-hmm. incapable of emotional connection, incapable of the things that really make humans happy. And we substitute that with the rel- unrelenting thirst and hunger for power and women and money, money and etc. And conquer. I just realized that I've internalized a lot more of that than I was aware. Um, and I don't think outwardly, but more inwardly, like mm-hmm. I fight that on a, on a pretty often basis. But just reading this book and seeing how patriarchy affects men specifically yeah. and our ability to be loving fathers, brothers, people in our society. I'm like, man, this shit is ingrained. Like every, when I'm uncomfortable with an emotion, it's so reflexive to almost say, be a man about it. Yeah. Which is like, that means don't feel it, repress it, take it out on someone else later. And it's like the rewards of that are actually just about dominating other people, um, being violent, being loud, being aggressive, but not being a healthy, happy individual. And I'm fighting through that and working on that. If there's any dudes who that resonates with listening to this or anyone identifies as a man listening to this, this is an amazing book. It's called mm-hmm. The Will to Change by Bell Hooks. It's a short one too, um, but I'd highly recommend that. And the thorn there is just like realizing how in deep it is. Yeah. But again, it's rosy because I'm becoming more aware of it and that's that makes me excited because it's like, okay, there is there is a there is a blueprint to change, right? And that's really important. It's hard because like we've all internalized patriarchy, like women as much as men. So she right? writes about that too, of how like women uphold it as well. Absolutely. That it's a system and yes. men are re- men are reaping a lot of the privileges of it, but are still very They're unhappy. Suffering. Yeah. yeah, like we are all in it. It's just different. It, yeah. it comes out differently. It's expressed differently. And yeah, men do gain more privilege from it, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't come at a cost. And yeah. that's like the problem with patriarchy. It's going to cost you. And, right? and the cost is often one Your of the... soul. Yeah, the soul. <laughs> but one of the biggest emotional needs for humans, and it's the ability Connection. to connect and be seen and be heard and be loved. Yeah. So... <laughs> I always love that this transitions into like a light fitness, fitness podcast. <laughs> yeah. So how to apply a progressive overload to your fitness programs. Um, all right. So you might've heard the term progressive overload before. It's one of the key principles of strength, tra- of just kind of exercise science in general, because yeah. it does translate to cardiovascular work too. And a simple s- definition for this is just the principle of continually applying a stimulus that your body will need to adapt to. Right. So you're overloading over time and your body will need to adapt to it. Yeah. This this example will probably resonate with a lot of people who have hit hard plateaus where. Oh, my God. Wait, let me be the example. Why? Because I I lived it like progressive overload. Okay, go for it. Get ready for this. Progressive overload changed my life. Because my wonderful, wonderful self went to the gym and I started lifting weights at the very beginning of my lifting journey. And I literally was so embarrassed. I've told this story on the podcast before. I did the same workout for a year. I never touched. I didn't do one extra rep. I didn't touch a heavier dumbbell than I knew I could competently master. Like I did the exact same thing, the exact same way for a year because I saw it work at the beginning. I was like, this is working. Look at me go. Look at my little shoulders popping. And then, <laughs> and then nothing ever happened again. How long, but like, how long did that last? A year. So wait, how long did you get gains from this uh, uh, program from? A 
few months. That's it. Maybe. That was about it. But then I was like, I was afraid to stop because it worked once. So I was like, I have to keep doing the same thing forever. And yeah, nothing changed. Nothing happened. I was miserable. Cool. I lived it. It sucks. It sucks not to apply progressive overload because like you don't end up getting anywhere. You are literally the epitome of a hamster on a wheel, just spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. So Sammy right now is sharing uh, a a quintessential example of mixing up protocols and principles. So this is this applies to diet, this applies to exercise, this applies to everything in life. If you don't understand the principle, you can get caught up in thinking that a protocol is the principle or is the magic bullet. So for, and I saw this all the time, when I was working at Good Life, we had this um, thing called the Fit Fix Circuit. And anyone, anyone who's Canadian and has yes. been to a Good Life knows what this is because they have all of their staff trained to take you through a series of machines that, and I actually, I used to hate this circuit and now I'm like, you know, it actually does more harm than bad. good. It's pretty good. You just basically do two to three sets of each machine yeah. and it's very easy to do. It's full um, body. It's full body, et cetera, et cetera. But because all of the staff is able to train you on it, they can get you there. And if you get consistent on this routine, people will come all the time. Yep. And like clockwork, what I would see is three, four, five months, someone would lose 20 pounds, they get in good shape or better shape. And they'd feel like, oh my God, this Fit Fix circuit is what got me there. And that's thinking that the protocol was the principle. The principle was that they went from not training to training three days a week. Yeah. And, you know, as they were, they were probably applying, they were applying progressive overload for a while just from comparing it to doing nothing. So their muscles were completely unadapted to any resistance training. Doing anything was going to get them results. And they, that might have lasted three, sometimes that lasts six months until yeah. it's like, I get no more gains out of this. This is just now my baseline. My body adapted. And here's the thing. Bodies and humans actually are quite homeostatic. Yeah. And what that means is we love homeostasis. We love to be at baseline. Yep. If you remember talking about uh, why certain people respond differently with weight loss is some people are maybe more homeostatic than others and they defend weight loss more, weight gain more. Similar to this, your body is not going to adapt and start to build new muscle proteins mm-hmm. to get stronger and to build more muscle if it's not given a stimulus that it's like, shit, we got to do this. Pause. If you're not giving it a reason to. Yeah. That's literally what this comes down to. Give your body a reason to adapt. Why would it adapt if it's mastered the task in front of you, right? Like it doesn't need to change. It doesn't need to get stronger. It doesn't need to build more muscle. Like you are adequately prepared for the task in front of you. Make the task harder. Yeah. That's it. Sammy just put it out perfectly. Like so, so in that example, the fit fix or with Sammy, the body adapted by maybe you gained five pounds of muscle. You developed these motor skills that allowed you to do these movements more efficiently. And now it's like we have the equipment and the skills to do this. If you're not going to push that any harder, I'm not going to have to adapt. If you can understand that as a principle, you largely understand progressive overload because your body is not going to adapt to a stimulus it doesn't need to. Mm-hmm. So in Sammy's example, what did you do after that? Um, <laughs> I hired someone to tell me what to do. So sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes it takes exploring with new things. And sometimes, and like, that's why a coach can be very helpful if you're, if you're kind of second guessing this, because you might be like, all I know is this protocol. I don't really know what else to do. Mm -hmm. But you can also like buy programs online. You can, don't be afraid to experiment, right? Like that is going to be a part of this. You might make some mistakes. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think people get caught up in like, it has to be, I have to do the perfect program. It's like, that doesn't exist. You have to be willing to make mistakes to learn what works 
for you. Um, you could read all the research in the world, but researchers are only going to research is only going to give us the averages. You might be different than the average. Yeah. Right. Statistically speaking, you're most likely to be around the average, but standard deviations and deviations from the average are a real thing. So you want to learn from your own workouts and from how your own body responds and take it from there. Definitely. So we talked about why it's important because mm-hmm. without it, your body's not going to make any more progress, adaptations, etc. Question to you, mm-hmm. what do you think a common, what do you think some common misconceptions about progressive overload are? That every workout is going to be linearly progressing forward. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the biggest one that I see with most of my clients, with most people on like, you know, who I communicate with on like Instagram or social. They're like, wait, I had like a workout today where I didn't see any meaningful progress or change. Like it was just kind of more or less like it was last week or the week before. I have ruined all of my progress. (laughs) And then I'm like, oh God, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. So there's something within that that we often forget. And this is why on Instagram, you might have heard Sam and I talk about, this is kind of related, but the biopsychosocial model, right? Not everything is just purely top down, just theoretical. We have to apply you as a human into this. Mm -hmm. And one of the constraints of this is your recovery. So if you are progressing week to week and then your recovery gets a little bit worse maybe you don't progress as much maybe you're going through a very stressful time in your life limiting your ability to recover as much or train as hard maybe you're not on hormonal birth control and you are a hormonally active woman or someone who is assigned female at birth who uh, succumbs to the fluctuations of PMS and notices that their strength and performance actually decreases during yeah. PMS week yeah. every month. So it can't always be linear. Yep. There's a thousand reasons, right? So yes. sometimes people will understand this principle of progressive overload and think, okay, it has to be linear progression all the time. And to that I say, okay, so in 10 years you should be benching a thousand pounds. Right. No, it's always going to be capped. Um, and again, what kind of happens is when you start, it's linear. Yeah. And <laughs> this is one of the uh, linear progression is the gateway drug of lifting weights because you're like, holy shit, this is the best. I Each week I go in, I'm stronger. A titan. I'm a beast. Yep. And then when you hang around us lifetime novice intermediates mm-hmm. and we're like, I just did an eight week program and put five pounds on my squat. I'm mm-hmm. stoked. And you're sitting here on your linear gains thinking, wait, what? <laughs> like that's ridiculous. <laughs> So you will hit a point where you yeah. have to, it's diminishing returns, right? And that doesn't mean no returns. That just mm-hmm. means, hey, at a certain point, you got to put 20% more effort yeah. in to get 2% more gains. And that's kind of how lifting is. Just that's to why. kind of break through that ceiling. 100%. Yeah. So let's talk about some strategies to actually apply progressive overload first. And we're going to talk about some simple ones. I'm going to refer to an article I wrote. Um, this article was called Simple Strategies for Applying Progressive Overload. Um, and I wrote it because I noticed that people were really struggling with this with their workouts. Yeah. Um, and maybe thinking that they always has to be linear progression, etc. So we already talked about linear progressions. So the way this might look like, if you were to buy a program online, it might look like adding a certain percentage or total load week to week. Mm-hmm. So week one, you're squatting three sets of 10 at 65% of your one rep max or at 80 pounds. Week two, 85, or you up by 2.5%, et cetera. It might look like that. And it might look like that until it stops working. Now, the thing is, when you start training, you can probably rock linear for an extended period of time, months even. Mm -hmm. But you will hit the point where you probably need to use some sort of what we'd call auto-regulation or using your own performance metrics to decide what you're going to be going for forward. And that's probably where we're going to spend the bulk of this conversation. So the first one would be, I like to call these rep out sets or rep out targets. 
Mm-hmm. So for example, you're doing three sets of 10 with a rep out target of 12. Now what that means is on your last set, you're going to aim for 12. And if you hit it, the following week, you're going to add 2.5s or five pounds mm-hmm. on the bar. The reason why this can be useful is because you're going to be actually using your own performance almost as a checkpoint or a gateway into the next progression, as opposed to say you do, you're doing linear progressions and you do three sets of 10 and that last set is an absolute grinder and maybe you only get nine or that 10th is like the last rep you could have gotten. I'm not sure. Maybe next week you could, maybe you have some adaptation and you would be able to do a little bit more, mm-hmm. but also you're really running out of room to progress on this. Right. So you're going to run to that point. And at that point, it might be worth kind of using your own performance as the arbiter of, hey, what what are my next decisions going to be? Do you have anything to add on to that, Sammy? No, not at all. What's your favorite method or what's something that you like to use? when you apply progressive overload to your own programs or with clients? Uh, it depends. It's always a, like a slight compromise, right? So yeah. I'm like, today the goal is progressive overload. So if that is one extra rep, if that is a little bit more weight, if that's, you know, sometimes you can actually, let's say you feel like you've reached your max at a given weight. What if you did one more set? Yep. You know what I mean? Like you can increase volume. There are so many ways to achieve progressive overload. So like a good example is actually today I did two sets of 10 pull-ups and my goal is to get three sets of 10. So each week, like I know that I can get one set of 10. Each week I'm like trying to push up my second and third set to bring them up a little higher. So last week I was able to do eight reps on my second set and then six reps on my third set. And this week I was able to do, I surprised myself and I squeezed out a 10. On your second set. Yeah, and then on my third set, I squeezed out six. So my goal for next week is probably going to be to match it and potentially exceed that third set by one. Totally. And that's it. I think a key thing there is that you actually keep your first set at 10. Yeah. Because you could probably do 12 to 13 on your first For set. For sure. But you're then going to be sacrificing your later sets. I want to keep the energy in the tank. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then within that, this is where people, I think, can get overcomplicated with their programming. Sammy could run this for six months. I really could. Like dead serious what this could look like this so she did one set of 10 Mm -hmm. then it was second set for seven third for four now she's going to do this until she does three sets of 10 damn straight once she does three sets of 10 there's a couple other options she can do she can add in a fourth set yep sometimes that comes at a cost of it being very fatiguing for the rest of your workout yeah it's not a bad thing but sometimes if you're like i really want to get good at chin-ups this might be a good strategy but if you're like "Eh, i want to do some other things too and Mm -hmm. don't want to gas myself especially if it's a very taxing exercise Mm -hmm. and chin-ups can be squats definitely can be deadlifts can be too the big lifts can be quite uh, taxing there then once she hits three sets of 10 she can also do okay i'm gonna go down do until I can do three sets of 12 now. Yeah. That's another progression. Or she could add weight to her chin up. Say, yes. I'm going to hold a 10 pounder and I'm going to do three sets mm-hmm. of six to 10. Yeah. So once I do three sets of 10 with this, maybe it's like six, six, six. Yeah. Um, all hail Satan at eight, seven, six, nine, eight, seven, 10. And then it's all the way 10, mm-hmm. 10, 10. Then from there, she can add progress again. Yeah. This might take eight months. Honestly. And this is what I find kind of frustrating in our industry because it's taught people to chase novelty stimulus. Yeah. And like clients will come to me and they'll be like, I have a goal. I want to do pull-ups. But 
then, you know, we'll program them out at like, I prefer six weeks because six weeks is not enough time to master a skill, but no. it's enough to like see improvement on something. I think four weeks is crazy. Yeah. But then on their next program, they're like, why do we still have pull ups in there? And it's like, because you didn't get one yet. You know what I mean? Like if you want to get better at a low bar squat, you're going to be low bar squatting. Like it's going to be in your next program. It might be in the program after that. Like get used to low bar squatting for time to see improvement on it. You don't want to keep switching things up month to month. Like when it comes to your big lifts and like the big skills and the big numbers you want to be moving, you want to keep some consistency in there. It's a skill that you are practicing, mastering, getting better at, getting more efficient at, getting stronger for. And if you keep like swapping it out, like every six weeks, like going from a low bar squat to a front squat and then to a high bar squat, like yeah, sure, you're squatting, but you're just picking different variations of squats that aren't really going to like translate per se to like the actual squat that you love and that you're trying to master. Yeah. So there's two schools of thought here um, because again, in the pyramid of what's going to make your fitness journey successful, mm-hmm. adherence is going to be the yes. foundation of it. So there are some people who will do better changing up their program every four weeks and want novelty. Yeah. I have some clients like that. For sure. Is it optimal? Probably not. But does it keep them engaged? Hell yes. Well, yeah. So if- there you're kind of, you want to find, assess truly like, hey, if I were to do a 20 week program, would I just give up four weeks in? And if you're like, probably, then maybe you do need more diversity and need to change it up. But you can fully change it up. That probably says it's less optimal, but it's totally fine because as long as your exercising is our top priority or you can keep the bulk of it similar and yeah. add in some new stuff each month. Yeah. So like, I mean, I have been deadlifting and squatting. I don't even know for how many years now. Like I don't take them out of my program. No. I progress or like I modify, I change yeah. it depending on what season I am, depending where I want to put my best effort for the things that you want to get better at and see improvement on you should be doing them regularly, consistently, and not worry about like chasing the novelty stimulus of, you know, if you want to get better at a conventional deadlift, why are you doing sumo? You know what I mean? Like, don't, don't swap them out just for like a fun variety and expect that like your conventional is going to keep getting better. Like you want to master the conventional. Yeah. So like specificity reigns king. Yeah. And like within that swap out your accessories, change the rest of your workout. If we're just keeping in squats, like you still have all this room to play with your program in different ways and to make it more interesting. Yeah. So that's what I mean. People can get into a lot of trouble with the... Some people think they need to. I know. I think that's where it's more problematic. Yes. Some people want it and they're like, okay, I don't care that it's like slightly less optimal. I just want it. I'm like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. We're working with that. So for example, I have one um, one coaching client right now where it's like basically his first four... Because we do monthly monthly programming. Yeah. I do monthly programming with him and coaching. So this month's program looked remarkably similar to last month's program. Mm-hmm. I just tweaked some reps. I did change some accessories up slightly, yeah. but the meat and potatoes of this program was pretty much the same thing. I communicated that to him. I was like, listen, it's going to be similar. Are you okay with that? And he's like, yeah, I am. If he said, no, I want some variety, I would tell mm-hmm. him the trade-offs. And if he was still good with it, I'd be like, all right, cool. Let's let's mix it up. Sometimes, sometimes that probably is the best practical strategy for one individual. But if you were to take the optimal kind of strategy and you didn't have to take an individual preferences, like doing similar stuff for an indefinite period of time would probably be the best case for that, yeah. if that makes sense. So we talked about using wrap out sets and wrap up targets. Mm-hmm. Another example for that is if, say you were doing three sets of eight and then the last set you did 
10, you'd probably add more weight next week. Yeah. But if you did 12, you actually would might consider adding more weight. If you did eight or nine, I would generally say, let's keep it there for next week and see if you can hit that 10. And if you hit six or seven or even five, then you might need to lower the weight or you can kind of reframe it of like, okay, the next goal is hitting three sets of eight. That would kind of be what it would look like yeah. there. So then you're still using your own performance to gauge from there. The second one that I would talk about is rep ranges. Mm -hmm. This one might be my favorite because it's so simple that it's like the most practical one I would think. So say you're doing some bench presses or some bent rows and you're doing three sets of eight to 10. Mm -hmm. Under the rep range model, you would not progress until you do all three sets of 10. Mm -hmm. So you'd probably set the weight up so that it's a weight that you could do for maybe one set of 10 to start. So it might look like 10, 9, 8 or 10, 8, 8. Mm -hmm. um, or you can have a larger rep range too. But once you hit three sets of 10, now you're going to add five, 10 pounds in the bar and then do it again. You can run this model for a stupid long time. Like legitimately, you could run this for a year. Yeah. Right. And then you might need to change your rep scheme. So my, if it's like, fuck, I'm not moving at all on this. Like I can't get past it. Then it might be, okay, let's do ranges of five to seven. Mm -hmm. Right. So you expose yourself to some heavier loads that might yeah. make you get a little stronger and then it might make it easier down the road, but you can legitimately run this for an extended period of time, especially yeah. if you do large ranges, like say, Hey, I'm doing three sets of six to 10. Yeah. And maybe week one is seven, six, six. Once I do 3, 10, 10 or 10, 10, 10, now I'm going to increase the load, do that again. It's an incredibly simple way for you to do this indefinitely. Yeah. Then the last one is you can also do set progressions that Sammy had mentioned. Mm-hmm. And there's a, you can do a combination of all of these. And I think yeah. that's sometimes where people get messed up. So you could actually do, you could use your rep ranges to then set up a set progression. So say you do three sets of eight to 10, you do all sets of 10, add in a fourth set. Mm -hmm. And then once you can do all four sets of 10, you might peel back to three sets and increase load, yeah. or you might do it all over again. And you can kind of use, mm -hmm. use these interchangeably. Like within a, within an average program for a client, I might use two of these. Like I might yeah. on a big lift where like, I really care about doing this. I might do a set progression. And then on the smaller ones, I might just do rep schemes to make it really easy or rep out sets. Yeah. And I think it's just like everything that you've said is beautiful. But it sounds so complicated. If I could describe this in the most simple way possible, all Dylan's really getting at is that like you're trying to always be pushing yourself forward. Yeah. And the problem is when we don't have like a concrete way to measure our direction, which is what all of these different um, strategies are for, then we don't know always if we're moving forward. And it can be really, really, really easy to fall complacent yeah. with your training. 100%. So in an ideal world, I would just tell you like, hey, did that set feel easier today than it did last week? Great. Let's try a heavier weight or let's try doing more reps this set. It is literally that simple, but yeah. you can also use different strategies just to push yourself a little bit more and yeah. just to kind of guarantee that you're seeing that progress. You know what I mean? 100%. Like it can be as simple or as complicated as you want to make it. Sometimes one underrated form of progressive overload personally that I find is moving the same weight, but utilizing more control while doing it, like feeling more stable under the bar, things like that. That can also be a version of getting stronger because your body 
it knows how to achieve the task more efficiently and with less fatigue. Noticing all of those little things, it's kind of being mindful when you're training, like actually truly being present, yeah. paying attention to like, was that easy? Was that hard? Do I have room to push myself a little bit more? And like chasing that. So I think that segues into a topic that's worth discussing. Yeah. There's language you can use for what Sam just described, and yeah. that'd be RPE or RIR. Yes. <laughs> I think the reason why I didn't I don't bring it up as much is like using RPE and RIR is a skill. It really is. Because and that's it's actually interoceptive awareness. Yeah. So what I would say is if you if you have a hard time gauging how far you are from failure, yeah. Rep out sets are probably my favorite strategy. They're number one. Because they can help bridge the gap between and here's the thing uh, here's the thing you can do you can be like three sets of eight with a rep out set maybe there's not a target mm -hmm. of doing 10 it's just your last set go for as many as you can yeah and for your first two sets you can think hey how many more reps do i think i could have done mm -hmm. like maybe one maybe two i get that all the time and i'm yeah. like no that is not what rir one or two looks and rir just means reps in reserve yeah take that last set to failure like jesus take the wheel like a hundred bucks on the line gun yep. to your head whatever it needs yeah. and if you and i i've done this experiment with a bunch of clients they're like oh i could probably get it in like two more and i'm like all right humor me i want you to take this last set to fucking failure mm -hmm. and they do 18 reps and yep. i'm like so what you're telling me is your first two sets were north of 10 reps in reserve mm -hmm. your last set was 10 reps in reserve you are training at least 10 reps in reserve away from failure all yeah. sets these are very low stimulation sets yeah as a beginner probably still make decent gains totally on it fine. as you become more um Advanced. seasoned in the gym not gonna cut it i think that this is also like an expectations issue i have a lot of clients say things to me like oh so when does this get easier and i'm like <laughs> it doesn't get easier no. you just adapt to get stronger it's never going to be easy it yeah. wasn't supposed to feel easy when you walk into the gym do not think that whatever you're about to do is going to feel like a bunch of little kittens kissing you it's going to suck it's, it, it's grueling it's painful it's hard that's the reward the reward is derived from the effort you put in, right? Yeah. You have to get comfortable with the discomfort of moving your body in ways that don't feel so beautiful. It hurts. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. It can suck, but you, like... You just brought something up that's interesting because I've always used this example. People will get out of breath and yeah. say, I'm so out of shape. No. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. Like, do you think being in shape means that there's no place where you get out of breath? Because I've seen this with flexibility too. Yeah. You've seen someone pull their leg over their head, hit their end range, yeah. and that end range is uncomfortable. You're getting mm -hmm. feedback from your body being like oh shit you are really taking these muscle fibers to their full stretch capacity yeah and they're like i'm so stiff and i'm like you just pulled your leg over your head what you're I experiencing know, is that there's an end range to your range of motion which will keep you safe yeah. because if there wasn't that would be very dangerous and same thing here people think that oh as i get stronger it'll be easier it's like no it'll get easier if you stop trying to get stronger what's re what's actually quite easy is getting strong and then maintaining said strength yes because you're like to keep it you just train a little bit your body's probably not going to abandon that strength that's easy but if you want to get stronger you have to keep pushing and as you talk about the progressive overload mm -hmm. putting your body under a stressor and providing yep. a stimulus that your body's like here we go again <laughs> yeah. i gotta create more muscle proteins i gotta develop stronger neural pathways god damn this this dude or this lady or this person will not give me a break yeah that's kind of what progressive overload is and there's a spectrum yeah you kind of want it to be a manageable one mm-hmm 
you don't want to take it so hard that your body can't recover. Absolutely. That would be called overreaching. Not going to be necessary for really anyone listening to this no. podcast. Um, so there obviously is a spectrum of how far you can take that. For the sake of longevity, small progressions, that's kind of why I like rep out sets too. Yeah. Don't take every rep out set to full failure, but say if you can get two extra two, extra three, it's like, okay, I got to add some more weight next time. Yeah. Yeah if that makes sense. And it's just like a helpful way to gauge where you're at and how truly challenging something was for you. Because this is not something that you're going to be um, used to deciphering within yourself, especially when you start lifting. The reality is that for the vast majority of us growing up in a Western society, the reason why we love mindfulness so much is because we don't have that preached as a homeostasis or our sense of self and being. So many people are fundamentally disconnected from their bodies until they wake up and realize that. And then they try to get back in their body through practices like yoga or strength training or running or whatever it might be. Breath work, cool. All of it is meant to bring you back to that feeling of connection with your body. And I see this so often with clients when they, you know, come into the gym and they're like, oh my God, I just did this and this and this and this and this. And they can barely feel or connect to their muscles or what they're doing. When you are so invested in your mind or invested in like everything else, it can be come extra challenging to pay attention to the signals that your body is communicating to you which means sometimes if you're not really present in your workouts you might not be receiving the feedback of this was ultra challenging or this was really easy it's very all too common to be so disconnected from your body especially like an intro lifter to not know how far you are from failure to not know how truly challenging something was yeah you know what i mean well it's you need to experience failure at least a few times to have a proper barometer of what failure feels like yeah because sometimes people feel like oh i was slowing down or you know what actually people often say it just got really hard i was probably too wrapped yeah. up in failure and if you watch the film like if you film the sets like your speed didn't drop at all and just mm-hmm. for some basic physics force equals mass times acceleration that mass did not drop an acceleration equaling yeah. you were producing the same force around on your last set as you were your first which means you were nowhere near failure yeah like if you're producing the same amount of force you are doing fine but what's happening is you're maybe not as accustomed to how uncomfortable <laughs> exercising can feel yeah. when you're pushing yourself so there's a skill of being able to train hard. And uh, the other side of that, as Mm -hmm. Sam can attest to this, if your program calls for a stupid amount of volume, you're going to have to sacrifice reps in reserve each set to get it done. Absolutely. Here's a pen to paper. Here's a super effective program for most people. Three sets of squats, eight to 10. Three sets of Romanian deadlifts, eight to 10. Three sets of assisted pushups or flat dumbbell press, eight to 10. Three sets of any sort of pull down seated row, eight to 10. If you do that workout and say that was too easy, the workout was not too easy. It was very underloaded. What tends to happen is people will do like 30 sets in a program in one workout. And I'm like, that was great. And it's great that you're exercising. But if you're looking to get stronger, build muscle, you could probably trim that heavily, make each set more effective and more challenging, but do total less sets and probably be in a better place. A hundred percent. And that has actually been my entire experience because I was very much a volume junkie. I was like, more is more is more. And I completely changed my mind on that. Like the less I do the more progress I seem to make the better my performance becomes the quicker I develop the skills I have seen 
so much progress by way of like the minimum effective dose. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, for Life sure. Life-changing. Because the dose is actually more stronger than yes. like doing a ton of exercise without much training. Yeah, so sense. it's like when I used to do my workouts, I was following like a bodybuilding program for a while and they were super high volume. I'm not going to call them out, but so high volume, like five sets of something. And I'm like, for not even a main lift, right? Like for accessories, I'm like five sets is a lot. And when you go into set one, your mindset is almost, well, I got to keep some in the tank for the other four sets I have after this. Thus, I better not push myself too, too hard yeah. so that I still have the energy. I don't know. It, it's like a breeding ground for complacency to me because you're you're just kind of challenged by way of exhaustion than yeah. by like really strong stimulus. 100%. Yeah. I, I've had that feedback from several clients. One who is like, this is the strongest she's ever been. And she's yeah. like, my workouts used to leave me exhausted, but I yeah. wasn't getting anywhere. These workouts are way simpler and way, way more simple and way more effective. But to be honest, there was a selling feature of like, like a over, I had to overcome this and be like, these are going to be way more basic than you're used to. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes complexity for the sake of complexity is great marketing because you can say, oh, look at those basic bros doing that shit. And it's like, this stuff works though. Like you'll never see, and I know it's not all about physique stuff, but if you look at Olympic lifters, power lifters, or physique competitors, you will see them with their daily deposits of the basic stuff. Doing the same shit over and over and over and over. It's what we all do. As opposed to the functional workout where it's like, just a lot of complexity yeah. and diversity for the sake of it. Having some diversity is awesome. Having some com- sure. com- com- some complexity has its place. But for the average beginner trying to get stronger and build muscle, simple, hard, yeah. and effective. That's probably where you want to be for an extended period of time Definitely. and build up that understanding of like, hey, what is it like to train close to failure? And then yeah. from there, and, and when I say close to failure, it's pretty much within five reps. Yeah. But most people don't realize within five reps is still really hard. Yeah. Like I had a really scary failure moment the other day because I was doing push-ups and I was doing like um with my feet on the what's it called what are they called feet elevated what am I thinking of your feet were on a bench or something yeah okay yeah 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 and they were challenging I haven't done them in a while and I wanted to take myself to failure but especially on an exercise like a push-up where your feet are then elevated too so I'm like if I fall like I've got ways to go and I'm smashing the floor with my face yeah it was terrifying to be that close to failure because once I reached this once I uh, got out of the bottom like I wasn't even at the sticking point yet I felt like I was moving through mud I just felt every fiber every muscle fiber in my body like in my legs in my glutes in my core like everywhere trembling yeah I was just trembling and my brain was just going oh my god oh my god you're about to fall on the floor don't fall on the floor don't let your face smack the ground like it was survival that rep was legitimate survival so sam we're trying to encourage people to train closer to failure this is a really it was so interesting story (laughs) oh my god because so it, Sam's advanced, so she can yeah. do that. You don't. You do not. Need you don't want to do that with no, a push. No, no, like, no. don't. Please, don't fall on your face, and don't take this as guidance that I'm asking you to. I'm like, I'm gonna play on like the wild side of the world. Why not? And it, it's just fun. Like yeah. there is. I know that I was like, okay, you gotta grind, and you do have to grind. But there's kind of like a beauty in it. Like it's really, really rewarding. When I made it all the way to the top of that push up and like threw my little body on the floor to be like, I'm done. I'm done with this shit. I felt 
amazing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was terrifying. It was exhilarating. It feels really good to challenge your body in a meaningful way rather than to just like do all the volume and go through the motions. It gets really stale. Well, if you were to get the same stimulus from training farther from failure, yeah. right? Like say like above five reps away yeah. from failure, you probably need like four or five, six sets. Yeah. With going closer to failure, say you're three reps from yeah. actually failing two reps, you probably only need three sets. I know. It's, and it's more efficient, more effective, right? And it's fun. Yeah. So that's probably where we're going to end that. So just talking about some basic strategies, what progressive overload is, why you need to apply it to your programs if you do want to get stronger and build muscle. We're going to leave my article for this in the show notes so you have some written content because this is like audio that I was explaining with things can be tough. So check out that article so you can kind of get a more of a written format of like, hey, here's you can apply this. Remember, you're not constrained to these methods. Progressive overload, as Sam said, is really any way that you're going to get stronger, do more reps, do more total volume, do more Mm -hmm. total weight, or take the same weight into a deeper range of motion. Yeah, That's another thing that can be progressive overload. This That article will just give you some really basic frameworks to apply to your programs to get you to push a little bit harder. 100%. Again, if you want to support the show, same old, same old newsletter, online coaching, or refer this podcast and share it, leave a review so that we can uh, continue to grow. And we really appreciate you listening. Have a fantastic day. Cheers.